won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, citizen civs. You've tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 87, was recorded on September 4th and made available for download on September the 7th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Lennon? In this week's Squawk Box, we check out a better specific impulse for your thruster needs. In CRG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, Tony Zarevec's roadmap, Around the Verse episode 59, and the latest Star Marine update. In Nuggets for Nuggets, we check out some sensible ships, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and Sivs, you can help us bring you more of the show you love by visiting our website, GuardFrequency.com, and clicking on the Patreon button. For the low, low price of a buck twenty-five an episode, you can become a backer and get access to the unedited recordings of the show a whole three days before our Tuesday release. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We thank everybody who's already shipped in, and we hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This one almost got past me. When a project builds on small, repeated successes and gradually steps up to bigger and better things, it's actually surprisingly easy to overlook. Minimal fanfare, reasonable expectations, and nose-to-the-grindstone habits don't exactly make for flashy headlines. But that's what the folks at Ad Astra Rocket Company are doing these days. Fans of the show might remember our coverage of the Vasimir, or Variable Specific Impulse Magnetoplasma Rocket, engine. Note, Vasimir's registered trademark, so don't go stealing it for your next band. In contrast to typical rockets, the propellant isn't mixed to cause a chemical reaction. Rather, large amounts of electricity are used to create a stream of plasma that exit the exhaust at speeds over 100,000 miles per hour. I am not making that up. This has the advantages of A, no moving parts, B, exhaust is controlled by magnetic fields so the scorching plasma never contacts the engine, and C, efficiencies in the low 70% range. Well, you say, let's head to Mars then. Not so fast there, Chief. Baby steps. Last month, that Astra inked a deal with NASA to install the VX-200 test engine on the International Space Station to be used as an orbital maintenance and course correction engine. Although the engine has been successfully fired over 10,000 times on Earth, adding another two or 300 burns in orbit will solidify Vasimir's place in the astronaut toolkit. But here's where the challenges start. The engine requires 200 kilowatts of power to achieve full thrust. NASA says, hmm, we can give you three. So the engine will be powered by a set of 50 kilowatt hour batteries that get trickle charged while the ISS is on the daylight side of Earth. The good news is the technology is readily scalable. You know, when you start out at 70% efficiency, there's a lot of room to go big. But as we all know, it's not easy to find 1.21 gigawatts of electricity out there in Earth orbit, or really anywhere in the solar system, except for nuclear power. So as soon as we feel safe enough to boost a fission power plant into orbit on top of an uncontrolled combustion reaction, 
we can use it to power a safe and reliable propulsion system that can shorten a typical trip to Mars to 39 days. Let's not anybody hold our breaths just yet. Wait, does this thing have a flux capacitor? I believe so. The flux capacitor uh, is not a standard feature, but if you get the upgrade, if you get the LX package, you can, you can oh, have okay. the flux capacitor. Can I strap yeah. these on a DeLorean then? The Gullwing doors uh, are also an upgrade feature, yeah. but uh, they're about to get a big old upgrade. If they can do this, uh, I think the numbers that I saw tossed around is that they'll save about $200 million in propulsion. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about this is that this is literally the Star Trek impulse technology right there, isn't it? Uh, that that kind of, yeah. I mean, it's an ion exhaust. You know, the thing's got to have a tailpipe, right? It's, you know, the, the yeah. this thing, the acceleration's not great, but that's because we're using... My computer tower has a 800-watt power supply in it. So 250 computer power supplies would run this engine. That's a lot of electricity. Thinking about it, doing it the other way around, if a 200 kilowatt of power is enough to get 100,000 miles an hour, surely one kilowatt of power would be enough to get you 50 miles an hour. Well, that, that's the speed of the exhaust, and the, uh, the, right. the, the trick with the Vasimir engine is that the amount of exhaust it puts out is minuscule, but it's going right. very fast. Gotcha. So that's why you and get these humongous G. savings on propellant. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see. Yeah. So basically, what you're trying to say is that Jeff, with his 1.2 kilowatt power supply, can just blow hot air really quick. Yes. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Crowdfunding update for September 4th, 2015 is 87,576,000, up about 600,000. You guys like those variants a lot. Star Citizens now number 973,000 plus, and the UEE fleet has grown to 758,000 ships. And there's an event happening next week in Atlanta that I predict boldly, I think it's going to put us over a million next week. Following hot on the heels of the release of the social module last Friday comes an article posted on the RSI website entitled Welcome to Art Corp, Star Citizen 1.2 Released. In it, Tony Zurevic, the Persistent Universe Director at CIG, introduces the social module, including why it's here, how it got here, and what we can expect in the future. And that's the bit that caught our eye here. Essentially, the future of Star Citizen Persistent Universe will be brought to us over three main stages, named Persistence, Shops, and Subsumption. The Persistence update will give us... Can anyone guess? Yes! Persistence! This will be the first time our characters are truly existing in the world, so whilst it might not bring a lot of visual changes, what's going on under the hood is a crucial part of the puzzle. Once the update goes live, we'll be able to invite others back to our private hangars, more easily jump into Arena Commander games with each other, and eventually head out into space as a group. Also, we'll see improvements to the chat system, new private lounges for members of the Million Mile High Club, and more emotes. Tony Zervik notes that the persistence might come to us as two separate updates, as this will also be the first update that will see the Star Marine code base merged in. After persistence comes shops, and once again you can pretty much guess what this update will consist of. As well as being able to purchase items in stores like Cubby Blast, this update will also implement the medical scanners and healing apparatus. Moby Glass will be flushed out further, and we can purchase clothing so we can start customizing our character, as well as the machines that go bing! Tony says we should be able to expect a few surprises with regard to the types of things that you can purchase and use in Area 18. 
And finally, the last update will be Subsumption, which will flood our world with intelligent NPCs and make the place truly feel alive. As well as these AI-controlled personas, we'll also be getting our second social area, Nyx, and we'll even be able to accept some simple missions. As a kind of sort of mini-update in with Subsumption, the Quantum update will also then unveil the entire star system navigation map and allow us to easily access any part of this mini-persistent universe, including cities on three other Stanton planets, Hurston, Microtech, and Crusader. Finally, Tony closes his article by letting us know that more details will be provided on these updates as they get closer. In between the major releases, it's possible that we'll see smaller revisions since delivering content becomes far easier as more and more of the underlying foundation comes online. While there's still a tremendous amount of work to do, the clouds are finally starting to part and the stars are coming into view. I like this. This is a, uh, uh, you know, it's there's no dates. Yes. That's okay with me, but it's it's a plan. It's a sequence. You know, it's after this, then that, after that, then this. This is good. This is good. I like this. Yeah. I mean, this was one of the things that I was saying. They need to give us dates without giving us dates. And they've done it. Well done. I'm kind of excited and, and kind of nervous about this because I think that if it doesn't go off well, people are going to um, really slam CIG over this. I mean, there's a lot of information in this written update that kind of sets the bar kind of high. And I worry that if you set the bar too high, then people are just going to just, you know, walk away disappointed. I'm not real worried about this part of it because this is the part that's MMO-like, you know? This is the part that has the most in common with what everybody else does. And so if you have people that have worked on other MMOs or watched other MMOs or, you know, played them, I I think this is the part that you can kind of... You obviously can't cut and paste because of the different engines and stuff like that. But, I mean, this is the part that's most like other products. And so this is the one where I would expect them to have the fewest snags to to have to overcome. And the social module was on time or early, right? This thing was raring to go, and it's Star Marine that was kind of fouling things up. And it was their earlier sort of dependencies that said, well, we'll do Star Marine first and the social modules. Well, they threw that aside and said, nope, social module's ready. Let's just get it out there, and we'll continue working on Star Marine until it's you know, done. So this one got moved up. Yeah, and if you kind of read between the lines a little bit as well, the first update is persistence, which lets states remain between play sessions. And the second one is shops, which will obviously allow us to purchase things. So within that, we're actually also going to see the starts of the foundation of the economy, surely, because they're going to need a way to be able to uh, eventually sort of track the buying and selling of commodities and what's going where. And so, yeah, the persistent update comes first. And then, hey, let's just let you buy and sell a few things. Right. You know, I think this is okay. very, very small scale. Maybe give, I don't know, the, the bartender in uh, the G-Lock bar, maybe give him, you know, a credit balance. And once that's gone, he can't purchase anymore or whatever. You know, just something minor like that in order to test the basis of it. Okay, so you're, you're, you're saying test the transactional yeah. part of the yeah, yeah. Make sure Make sure that balances get deducted and stay deducted as persistently when you log in and log back out. Or they can add credit balances over time. Like, say, if you have a subscription or something, they give you a 1,000 credits every week or something right. like that. Testing. Okay. Te- okay. All right. I, th- that would be fantastic. That would be good. That's, yeah. that's, that would be a good thing. They're nowhere near ready for them to start testing the player economy. That's got to be way down the road. Yeah. But, but yeah, the transactional part of it, yes, that would be cool. The mechanics of it. Yeah. yeah. Because with the subsumption update as well, where they said that you'll be able to take mini missions across the Arc Corp system, 
uh, or the Stanton system rather. Yeah, you know, you're going to be going planet to planet. You're going to have a, a persistent balance sheet on your character. Kill ten rats. Here's a hundred credits. Yeah. Go to the bar, spend it. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No. I like it. No, I think you're right. Because uh, purchase and use in Area 18, well, they have to have, like any good game economy out there, you've got to have credit sinks. Yeah. you got to have sinks. So they would have to have something there that you could buy and drop that balance. I will say, in this bit here, when Lennon said the clouds are finally starting to part and the stars are coming into view, I think, and this is what I said earlier in shows prior to this, that CIG was going to come through and that all that background work, all that stuff that they're, they've been working on, it, it's really starting to pay off. I've spent a great deal of time in Area 18, and, and I'm just, it's so exciting to see. And I think that while I, I want to temper my expectations, I'm really, really pleased where things are right now. I'd counsel against tempering your expectations, Jeff. I'd say after as much patience as the community has shown and after as, uh, you know, the sort of trying times we've had over the last six months or so, by God, I think we should have some high expectations. And it seems like they're ready to deliver. This should be the, I'm going to use a little air quotes here, the easy part. This stuff should be the stuff that a veteran team of expert game designers should be able to pull off relatively efficiently. We're going to give them a big pass on the physics because those localized physics grids are you know crazy we're going to give them a big pass on the unified camera system because that's never been done before for star marine those are huge technical hurdles you know the 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 64-bit conversion uh, dual precision huge technical hurdles this is storefronts this is kill 10 rats here's your reward go turn in the token at the bar for a special widget everybody does that and I think that these guys should be able to do it really well because of the incredible backbone, as you were saying, uh, that they've got, the, the huge foundation that they've laid. But it should be a lot smoother. This part should be a lot smoother, I would think. Episode 59 of CIG's in-house production Around the Verse has been released, giving us all the details from inside the studios and letting us get one step closer to the folks making the game. These episodes contain a lot of good information, and we'd highly encourage you to check them out. Links will, of course, be in the show notes. But we wanted to talk about one or two things that piqued our interest. All from Founder 42 DE. Firstly, the core engine team has been working on a physical EVA model, a more refined way for players to move in zero-g. Secondly, they're working on grid refactoring, which will allow huge objects, you know, think eight-kilometer asteroids, to have proper physics proxies. Thirdly, they're working on ATMO and life support system on ships and stations. How to have hull breaches, what happens with the AI, and how to equalize pressures, and so on. And finally, they're starting to prototype the hacking systems with the end goal having a very large scope in the universe, as we will be able to hack everything from a small door to ship seal. Uh, not overly excited about the ship shields thing. Really? If you have, like, a boarding party, okay. Yeah. You know, if the hacking game is going to be plugging into some guy's terminal and messing with it, okay. But if you're remote control hacking a la the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica, I'm not a fan. I'm on Tony with that one, too. Yeah, although, if you think we're going for realism, if you can allow communications through the shields, then surely that would just give you a vector onto the enemy systems regardless. Well, well, I also expect when I purchase shields or, or spend a, a great deal of money on, on them, I, I expect a certain amount of security or at least, you know, notification that I'm being hacked and I can turn around and blow their ass out of the water. Oh, I'm sure you'll get that. Yeah. 
it's less of a realism thing for me, Lennon, and more of a gameplay thing for me. Because when I buy a ship, my expectation is that I will be fighting the ship, right? I'll be using the ship to fight. Someone can try to convert the ship fight into a hand-to-hand -hand combat fight. I can, I can see that by you know, putting boarding parties aboard. But remember that before they do that, first they've got to disable your maneuvering thrusters and your weapons and stuff like that. So there's like a threshold stage they have to cross before an aggressor can convert a space fight into a ground fight. Well, it seems to me that these hacking things sort of blur that line. If they can just hack into your shield system and your thrusters and your weapons and just shut them down, all of a sudden all my time and effort and energy that I've spent gearing up for what I want to play, i.e. a space fight, has now been taken from me and gameplay that I'm not excited about, i.e. boarding actions and ground fighting, all of a sudden are now thrust upon me. And I'm not a fan of that sort of environment. If you want to hack my stuff once you're on my ship, once that transition has been made, swell. The game that I've signed up to play is a space fight game, and if someone can convert that into a ground fight game that I'm not excited about without my input, if I'm required to devote a lot of general resources and energy into avoiding the ground fight while I'm trying to have a space fight, eh, not a, not a fan of that concept. You kind of hit the nail on the head at the end there where you, you basically said, like, you know, you don't have any choice in the conversion. That's, that's presuming that there's not sort of like an anti-hack mechanic. And this does go back to what you were saying to begin with, which was that they still have to, you know, get through the shields in order to board you. We, we know very little about this system. I would presume, because they were talking about having to develop the complexity of it, that it's not just going to be a one-click, hack the shields button, and then your shields are down. You know, it's going to But take, that's how it works in the movies. That's how it works in the movies, but, you know, that's not real life, Tony. Oh, thank God. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, they've been talking about the complexity, and it's not just going to be like an, uh, an I hack you button. Secondly, we know from the electronic warfare stuff that they're keen on also for every method of entry, there's a method of prevention. So for electronic warfare, there's like counter electronic warfare. For hacking, there's probably going to be counter hacking systems. I would imagine this would be what one of the either, I don't know, the engineer or one of the second seats on your ship will be able to fight on that type of level. They will be able to anti-hack someone who's coming in. And secondly, the only... Uh, sorry, I've done a lot of secondlies. I don't know how many secondlies I'm on now, but whatever. I'll keep I think you're doing. on like sixthlies. Yeah, whatever. So, and seventhly, hey, if the only thing that really prevents a space action from becoming a ground action is the amount of time required to reduce the shields, why does that necessarily have to be through the use of bullets? Why can that not be through electronic means? If it still takes, I don't know, a minute or two to lower your shields, ultimately what difference does it make which method that that's done by? Well, I, presumably the uh, hacking thing is going to be a lot faster than wearing it down through the shields because the idea would be that you're not going to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the larger vessel. You're going to take a shortcut around its defenses i.e. hacking them, because you aren't going to present them with, you know, either a swarm of fighters that they have to defend or a comparable-sized capital ship that they right. have to, you know, take on. To use a pointed and, and loaded word, they're going to cheat. You know, they're going to cheat around your nice, big, expensive ship that you've spent hours and days and millions of space bucks to upgrade, and they're going to cheat around your defenses to turn a space fight into a ground fight. As long as they keep that in the forefront of their mind, that most of the people that have backed this game for all the, the money and the ones that are very excited about this are totally into the space stuff, and 
accepting of the ground stuff. As long as they keep that design philosophy in mind as they design this hacking system, I think it's going to be fine. Well, I, I think the other thing that needs to be taken into account is that when you're doing the combat-based conversion into a ground encounter, it's not quite Twitch-style gaming, but it is very much, you know, you've got to manually aim the cursor over the right part of the enemy's ship in order to shoot it in the correct place, and they can dodge. And that's very sort of the Twitch-based style gameplay. You've got to be able to move quickly and finessely. Hacking, by everything that I've been able to find out about, it seems to be more of like a puzzle-based system. So rather than necessarily having to be uber-dexterous to be able to stand any chance of doing anything, you're just giving an additional way that people can be competitive, I guess. And ultimately, if you're going to have that PvE slider all the way up to the PvE maximum, this will most likely be something that you will never encounter as a player-versus-player thing, and it will either be you hacking the enemy shields or the NPCs trying to hack you. As a concept, that's okay, but I just want to make sure that the, the design philosophy that they're keeping in the forefront of their minds is, this is one of those areas of gameplay that if I want to avoid it, I really should be able to. I don't know if it, I don't want to go to the slider route because I don't think that that's that's the appropriate solution here. I think the design philosophy of quote hacking needs to be that the preference for most of the people that are in the big spaceships will be for spaceship combat and being able to convert it from a spaceship combat into a boarding action or ground combat by cheating, you know, by not defeating you mano a mano fisticuff style. Marquis of Queensbury rules, you know, put up your dukes uh, in, a, in a space fight situation. If you want to be able to get around that, there needs to be, like you're saying, a great deal of puzzle skill involved. There has to be a high cost in other ways to do that because that's really going to hack a lot of people off who have spent a bunch of money on a javelin or an Idris to, you know, have this all shiny and awesome and then because you neglected to fill out your anti-hacking suite appropriately and didn't pay your marines well because you have all these awesome defenses on your Idris and then you lose it. That's going to infuriate people. But that's just stupid oversight. That would be like leaving without having shields. You know, you could make that argument the other way around. Oh, I've got all these expensive anti-hack systems, so I won't need shields, you know, because... But, but, but again, Lennon, that's the design philosophy that I'm talking about here, is that the ground game is something that not everybody is going to be excited about. I'm not. I would like to ignore that part of the gameplay to the extent I can. That's why I'm arguing for a design philosophy centered around being able to ignore it as much as I can. Not that I can ignore it completely, but that if I choose not to care about it, it's not going to instantly cost me my constellation. That's where I'm, that's where I'm going from. There needs to be a buffer between conversion of space games to ground games in a, in a manner that the space pilot feels like he's sort of in control of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But hacking doesn't have to be part of the conversion. It's just a tool to reduce the enemy shields. You know, you could still then blow them to crap. You don't have to convert into a ground-style attack. You know, it's no different than just to go back to the other game that we play, Star Trek Online. Um, it's no different than using the... Uh, the oh, I for- totally forgot the name of it now. Subnucleonic Beam. That's the... Exactly. See? Yeah. <laughs> I knew we employed you for I know what reason. you're talking about. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's the... Yeah. For, for the uninitiated, uh, Subnucleonic Beam is basically a extension of the cooldowns that you have on your ship, so you can't activate your powers as often. It, it, it basically, all the special things that your ship used to be able to do, you can't do anymore. Or at least you can't do for a long time. 
So it basically it takes a lot of things offline that normally you would be counting on to fight your ship. That's fine. But the th thing that subnucleonic beam does is it takes them all offline. And with hacking, if you can hack the shields, there's no reason why you wouldn't be hacking the engines and the guns and the life support and everything else all at the same time. Well, provided you can concentrate. Because that's little. hacking. Once you're in, you're in. So it's like having a big off switch, you know, and then you're done. All of a sudden, it's bored now. So if the design philosophy is no, you can hack one system at a time. Oh, well, see, that's what I'm talking about. They've hacked my shields and my shields are offline. I need to dump power into weapons and engines so I can either blow them out of the sky or run away. That's giving the space pilot some control back. And, that, and that's what I'm talking about. If it's balanced out and designed in such a manner where the person that does not want it converted to a ground situation still has some authority and some capability to avoid or eliminate that threat. That's what I'm talking about. I'm with Tony with that. I, I am not looking for space FPS combat. That is not my thing. I, I do want to play some kind of ground game where... I'm EBAing from my ship and I'm rescuing people in space and, you know, I have to get through the hatch and maybe there's a little bit of hacking involved because, you know, I don't have immediate access. But that kind of stuff is what I what I expected. I, I didn't expect uh, Call of Duty in space. And, and I can live with the fact that there is that portion of the game. Uh, you know, that that's fine. As long as I don't, I'm not required to play that in as part of my progression whatever the progression style is but beyond that i i want to i want to build a nice corporation with a well-known name throughout the universe and and you know we do search and rescue and that's that's what i want to do and not get your face shot off right and not get my face shot oh mr star marine update we're so glad you decided to join us on time this week Seriously, we are glad, because we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. The big merge of the three modules should hopefully be complete in the next week or so, and then bug smashing, of which there will be a fair amount. While Ben wings off to Dragon Con, Jason Hutchins and Disco Lando handle this week's Star Marine. Wait for it. Bullet points. That wasn't our joke. That was actually in the update. All varieties of the UI, Marine Helmet, Cockpit, Mobile Glass, etc., are getting a consistency pass based on decisions made at a recent summit. Chat radar scoring charts and loadout screens are on the drawing board. There are general bug fixes and a triage system is being put in place. What has to be fixed, what can be tolerated, and what's the difference? Art. All weapons are almost done. One gadget is undergoing a redesign. Visual effects are ready for review. Animation. Well, there's always more to do, but they made sure that your character's pistol idle animation keeps his finger off the trigger. One of the four rules, people. Learn them, live them, love them. And finally, on the audio side of things, if this doesn't end up being the best sounding game of the decade, we'll be surprised. Check out the four minute long video at the end of the update to get an idea of the lengths Foundry 42 are going to in order for Star Citizens to have an immersive oral experience. This was a pretty fun uh, update, I thought, because it really is sort of giving checklists of what's happening and what's, uh, what's progress they've had, the challenges that are coming up. I think if they had been doing this all summer long, we could have avoided a lot of discussion yeah. that has been plaguing. But then we would have had a show. Well, but we would have had a discussion about this. Oh, yes, you're right. right yeah, Sorry. So, yeah. uh, basically, I'm just complaining that they made our lives harder making a show every week <laughs> when they weren't saying anything. That's what I'm really complaining about here. I'm glad to see it is all moving along 
nicely. Again, the one thing that seems to be missing from these updates lately is the netcode. So it is just all the final polish passes that are being done to everything, I think, which is a really good sign, especially when you consider the social module. Like they were saying, the code branch needs to be merged back in. Yeah, it's all sounding pretty promising to me. Well, I mean, I think they're still having some issues with with getting servers spun up and that kind of stuff. There have been uh, reports that we've got about instances being full and not being able to connect to uh, sessions and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's still happening. Yeah. But I think it's to the point where it's just like, this is alpha now. This isn't like, we can't do it. It's not working at all. The system is just crashing. This is more, it's basically working, but we're coming up against those edge cases now where we need to clean up the the code itself so that it functions on a more consistent basis. People are playing now. People are connecting into Area 18. People are running around in there and jumping on stuff. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's working. It may be not working well yet, but it's alpha. So the generic instance manager appears to be the wave of the future, and it seems to be working more or less as intended. I think so. I, I, uh, like I said, I've been playing a lot in Area 18. I, I'm pleasantly, though there are some things, they mentioned sound in there. I got I to gotta say, uh, we were chatting about it in the, in the Area 18 chat earlier. I would like to hear some different sounds from the from the flyovers from the different ships. Mm. I, it was too too airplane noise, too much of a turbojet. You know, um, mm-hmm. it didn't sound exactly rockety or or futuristic from what I was thinking of. The and the ships need to sound different too, don't they? I mean, yeah, I I, I agree. I think the different ships need ooh, to sound. or should it be the engines that sound different, not the ships? Yes. Well, yeah, the engines. Well, ah. Possibly both. Yes, you should. The, yes, there should be a layer. If you have a Pratt and Whitney engine inside a Freelancer, it should sound one way. But if you have a Pratt and Whitney engine inside a Hornet, it should sound a different way. Yeah, because yes. if I've got my Merlin, which is clearly just like you know the boy racer car of the future, yeah. um, I want to yeah. have the biggest, loudest engine I can get on that. So as I'm driving along, right. you, know, you get a yes. real sort of growl coming out of it that they go down you know outside your building at four in the morning wake everybody up you know (laughs) the sort that i mean you want to be that guy yeah exactly and i'm hoping that i can swap (laughs) out uh the the nose mounted weapon for a novelty horn yes that would be fantastic actually you know a friend of mine uh he had a 2013 toyota avalon just just absolutely plain jane completely nondescript old man looking car and he put an awuga horn yeah that's what uh, you want underneath it <laughs> yep and he had he had a button that was just underneath the underneath the console his wife didn't even know he had it so uh <laughs> but he would but yeah so he would he, uh, well i would I'd, I'd hang out with him every so often and he would just uh, one night we were uh, it was after a work meeting and he said, hey, watch this. And we drove past a group of people standing on the sidewalk, and he hit the Ogo horn. They all just, like, do they jump 10 feet in the air. <laughs> we need that at Area 18. We definitely need that. We need a, 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 a sound boom uh, that will knock people out, out of their socks as you fly by. That's for that's for sure. Especially with uh, there's a bridge that you can get to where if you stand there, you know, the, a ship will fly overhead. I've had it with uh, cutlasses seem to appear more than anything else, but you know, they almost feel like they're a couple of inches above your head and you could like just jump up and grab them if yeah. you wanted. And yeah, somewhere like that, that would be ideal, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Now it's time for news we didn't use. Aramis Post, Striving for Recognition Part 3, 
One planet's plight for official status in the UEE. Note from the chairman, Everspace, another great space sim for you to support. And a candidate for where the f*** is the first-person shooter module. Meet the Devs, episode 39, featuring Vice President of Marketing, Sandy Gardner. Vanguard Variants Q&A, part 1 and 2. Bucks come with LTI and are swappable via the hollow table. And 10 for the Chairman, episode 64, featuring clothing damage, zero-G orientation, and parking your ship in the PU. On that note, something that I, I didn't feel warranted major discussion, and because I've said that, it's now going to involve major discussion. I see what yes, I exactly, did there. Yes, exactly, because I love you to be wrong. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right, in yeah. 10 for the Chairman, episode 64, one of the questions was about landing your ship in the PU, and Chris basically said that the landing zones will be instanced, and there'll be a certain number of landing pads, but you won't be able to see, like, all 70 ships that are docked there. You know, I can get why they're doing that, but... If we're having instance landing zones on the planet, does this mean that we won't be able to fly out of our hangars using the big garage doors? Because I was so looking forward to that. No, 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 no. No, and, and he did say in the in the ten for the chairman that they're not exactly sure how they're going to deal with that. They know they want instances, but they don't know whether they're going to have ships rolling in and and you landing and you getting out of your ship and your ship getting parked into the hangar or what yet they're just not exactly sure how they're going to deal with that here's my proposal this this is how i think it ought to work you have landing zones like art corp or nix and each of those landing zones has garages in them right so like here's garage one here's garage 27 here's garage 84 however many garages you think you can put some of them are big ones some of them are small ones some of them are business class some of them are you know the the basic one the self land ones so you know you have you just have you allocate a certain number of them right and then when i log into the game and the computer knows that i logged out on art corp out of my revel in york hangar it spawns my hangar in the appropriate slot it spawns my hangar in one of those things now my hangar exists in an instance landing zone on art corp and then my garage door opens and I take off out of it and then I fly up out of the atmosphere. But this was the thing is that they were saying that they wouldn't be doing that because they don't want you flying through the atmosphere of Arc Corp. So it's all going to be computer controlled and guided landing. They could still open up my gar- I could still open up my garage doors and then the transition out of there could be cinematic. Yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe. I hope I, so. I hope so. I think that's probably how they'll do it. That I mean, it doesn't really change my proposal. They'll just spawn me in a place where the cinematic transition happens when my garage door gets raised. So I'm still I I still spawn in an art an art corp revel in York hangar somewhere. But then I strap into my cockpit, hit go to orbit, and then that's where the cinematic takes over. My my garage door opens up at that point, and then I launch out of the atmosphere at that point. So I won't be flying through the instance in my Connie, but I will be taking off from my instance. It'll transition to cinematic, and then I'll be flying up out of a pre-rendered arc corp that only shows me what I would see on my pre-destined flight controller-approved egress path out of the atmosphere. And this week's community question, social module, it's out on time, early even. Is this a sign of the new CIG, or are we just crazy optimist fanboy podcasters? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. 
Now that we're all cut up with the latest news from around the verse, let's talk about ships sensibly in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Welcome again to Sensible Ships, the show that tells you how to make your fighter, hauler, or any other flying contraption do what you want it to. I'm your host, Spectrum Personality, Carrie Kerrigan. As always, we found a professional industry representative to provide us with the recommended methods of modifying ships. And then, of course, an innovative and unconventional technician who will tell you what they would do on a slightly smaller budget. For our expert professional, we have invited an industry trendsetter, Maddox Pirro, Director of Electronic Warfare Research and Development at Drake Interplanetary. <laughs> Great to be here, Gary. And representing the creative opinion and modest means, we have independent salvage and hauling professional Herbert Engelvan. Herbert, welcome to the show. Really nice setup you have here. Fetch a lot in resale. Keep your hands where I can see them. Okay, let's go to our first upgrade scenario. Ariel from Stanton writes, I want to increase my engine power, but not my EM emissions. We'll get the expert recommendation from Maddox, and then get the budget recommendation from Herbert. Why don't you start, Maddox? Well, it's a tricky problem to be sure. Anything that uses a lot of power on your ship is going to increase your EM signature. Uh, since you're increasing the engine power as well, there's a possibility you could be increasing your infrared output from the exhaust on top of that, so at a quick guess I'd say your best bet is to find more efficient engines that can do more with the power they already have. Drake is coming out with a... Well, I, I'm sorry, Maddox, but we can't make specific brand recommendations on the show without a sponsorship agreement, but thank you. Herbert, what would your solution be? I have to say, I don't like Mr. Maddox's idea here. See, what I do is find the biggest engines and power plant that you can and graft your ship to them. It's like jets that I got off the dead star fair last month. Then you just run them over at full power as much as you can. Um, but wouldn't that make her EM signature larger from all the added power use? Well, yeah, but only if there's someone else around. See, as soon as you see a blip on your radar, you detonate an EMP bomb inside your ship. Completely messes up your power flow and shuts everything down. By the time you reset your systems, whoever was looking for you will probably be gone. Also gives you a nice chance to enjoy the vista of space without the electronic distractions. Well, that's certainly a novel approach. Okay, now we hear from Zev and Terra. He says he thinks he's got his Vanguard's IR and EM signatures down pretty low, but he's worried about his cross-section return. The Vanguard's a big ship and can show up on radar pretty easily from certain angles. What can he do about that, Maddox? Yeah, cross-section is tough. I mean, the easiest but most expensive option is to go for absorptive armors and high-tech coatings, you know, that sort of thing. But that can seriously alter your flight characteristics. It really does have to be dealt with early, though. As we found out when we were designing the Herald Courier, it's carefully crafted oh, with a... Mr. Mr. Puro, I'm gonna have to stop you right there without a sponsorship agreement with our show. Uh, right, right, sorry. Um, well, if you're not willing to switch ships, uh, well, then I guess you just make sure to aim towards or away from anyone you think is searching for you, since the Vanguard is really narrow when you're looking straight on. Uh, also, you should plan your route to take advantage of moons, asteroid fields, nebulae, and literally anything that will block your ship from view. <laughs> it seems like you disagree, Herbert. Mr. Fancy Suit wants people to fly to asteroids. Of course I disagree. You know how many wrecks I find inside rock fields? Anyway, 
If your ship's too big, make it smaller. What's he got? A vanguard? Yeah, those wings come right off with a cutting torch. And those struts in the back? No real purpose for those, so ditch them. Those struts house thrusters and the cooling systems. So move them. You'll have two big holes to put stuff in. After the struts come off. Are you seriously suggesting a civilian attempt to... Okay, that sounds really great. On to the next question. Harpa in Centauri likes hunting Vanduul. She's got a tricked out freelancer, MIS, and doesn't care if they find her. But she's having trouble keeping track of all the bogeys she runs into. She's looking for recommendations. Maddox? Well, I'd worry about putting anyone else in a dangerous situation like that, but the simple solution is to fill the second seat of the freelancer with a dedicated radar or sensor expert. They can devote their time to tracking and locating targets while Harper maneuvers around and shoots them. If she wants, uh, she can always upgrade her ship with a more sophisticated suite so her co-pilot can engage in some electronic warfare activities. For example, Drake are trying to contract with Microtech's R&D division to- Oh, you corporate vultures just want to kill people. First you want them flying into toxic nebula, and then you want newbies in the combat zone. I've nearly lost rubes in the basic salvage missions. I take it you've got an alternative solution, Mr. Anglevan. Simple. I know her real problem. My first ship was a Lancer. You can't see a planet from orbit out of the cockpit. What you want to do is strip off the metal from around the cockpit back to the airlocks and just replace it with windows. I got a Connie now and she's got nice cockpit visibility, but you can get the same effect. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I I can't let this man make any more reckless, dangerous suggestions for modifications that civilians should never be attempting with their ships. Well, of course you don't want them to try any of this. All you want them to do is wander over to Drake and go into crippling debt buying all your ships and upgrades. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and take a break. When we return, data spike missiles. Illegal or just ill-advised? Also, probably a completely different set of guests. We'll be right back. Some say he live streams Star Citizen every Wednesday at 6pm Central, and that more often than not, our token Brit joins him. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. The social module, the vanguards, talk to us about anything, anything except that guy. The good, the bad, your hopes for the next steps. That was our community question last week, and we got a fair number of responses on it. Yep, Haiku Knives starts us off by saying, I love, love, love these Vanguard Battlefield upgrade kits. In a feedback a few weeks before concerning the tally modules, I mentioned how I figured that ship variants that didn't feature a whole rejiggering, for example the Super Hornet, were really just bundled loadouts. These kits really play right into that idea. The E-War stuff also has me very, very excited. I'm already seeing my corp mates inadvertently whispering over TeamSpeak when we're trying to run a retaliator in silent mode, and there are hunter ships all buzzing around. Also, the Nyx preview. I can easily see why such an area is prohibitively dangerous for the UEE cruisers to be poking around in, what with its super dense asteroid cluster and foggy nebula, etc. Potential missions in such a rock farm could be installing retro rockets to keep settled areas safe, or installing retro rockets to smash into rivals' territory, or scanning down and disarming retro rockets. There, three great missions with high stakes that don't involve firing a single shot. Great show as always. Marcus Slingshot Shren says, I was nowhere near as unlucky as Jeff or Shiv, but I got on and got to play around with Art Corp. I will admit that I had some issues getting the Moby Glass and the chat system to work, but that was mainly my own silliness in not reading the patch notes that included instructions. 
I was absolutely awestruck at the level of fidelity and detail that was included in this early iteration of our corp. I cannot wait to see what the next iteration looks like and what this zone will be like when we have NPC and AI contacts to interact with. The vanguards, well, I love, and have always loved, the aesthetics of the ship. I think they're beautiful. Now that I get to see the practical use of them through their variants, I'm even more excited for them. I won't be pledging for one now, as my better half would murder me if I did, but I will definitely be working to getting a Sentinel in the PU. Great show as always, guys. I love the Nugget section, and glad to hear Justin getting in on the act. Amontamato. It's great to see the progress being made right now. Area 18 looks great. The Vanguards are really cool, and Nyx was an awesome surprise. This is really making me want to upgrade my computer in order to enjoy it properly. This week has also brought me a bit of a downer in regards to Star Citizen. In 10 for the Chairman, Chris reaffirmed the range of player character height and body proportions would be very limited. The reasons for this were understandable. There is going to be a bit of interaction between characters and the world around them, not at the least of which it was fitting inside a ship and being able to reach all the controls and the equipment necessary to operate it. Chris went into a bit more detail this time, though, and spoke of very limited adjustments in height. It seems that if the body height will be locked with only a little variance in height and coming in from the size of the head. Moreover, we learned from an artist dev that the female skeleton will be the same height as a male skeleton due to combat balance reasons. A range of character height that still fit the cockpits in our ships is certainly possible, but it would presumably require a great deal of extra work on the part of CIG. It seems as if CIG has determined that the extra work isn't worth the benefit it would give us. I'm very disappointed by that. I note that Chris and the company themselves understand the importance of physical presence as they are not limiting the NPCs in Squadron 42 to a single skeleton. Do they understand the importance of allowing us some sort of flexibility in our storytelling? Mike Slane says, That social module. It's mind-bogglingly pretty. The vandal head and cubby blast is actually quite disturbing. The skin texture is akin to a dried lizard and is very realistic. When the day comes when I meet a living and armed vandal in the verse, I think running and hiding is a perfectly rational reaction. There's so much more to add to the social module and every step of the way is going to be amazing. I'm particularly looking forward to being able to sit at the bar with a drink. I could happily sit there for hours socialising with the other citizens. Daniel Stapleford says, Regarding the elevator, the one thing that impressed me is it works both ways. You can punch the letter number combo in and it will select Art Corp or click the list to the left. This means that the keypad already works. All we need are the codes to our friends' hangers. I know that there are certain things that you can do to compensate for skeletal height in cockpits and whatnot, with seat adjustments, whatever. I would have hoped that this being the persistent universe that Chris wanted it to be, that there would be all kinds of, of, I mean, I expected aliens, some aliens to be seven and eight feet tall. Uh, I mean, it's a bit distressing to see that they've been so much work in, into the back end of this thing that they can't accommodate, you know, four foot three to six foot nine, for example. I, it's just, I was a bit put off by that. Well, I agree, Jeff. I mean, as an as a RP guy from Star Trek Online, it's important to let people sort of define their avatars in the world. But as a practical matter, they are going to design, you know, several dozen cockpits that are going to be based around five or six or seven basic layouts, and they all have to work. Now, a creative solution might be that when you sit in a seat, your four foot nine pilot magically turns into a five foot ten, or your six foot three pilot magically shrinks down to a five foot ten, 
for the duration of your time in the seat. I know that's going to be breaking some people's immersion. I'm sorry, but there's already real-world mechanics. My car has adjustable pedals. But, Jeff, I mean, they have to go in and model the bar underneath your seat. Then the, they have to pay a motion capture person to motion capture leaning down under the seat to grab the bar to scooch up your... Here, I'm going to make some good radio here with my chair. You know, to, the, to scooch up. Then the sound guy has to make your seat scooching up sound uh, and the seat scooching back sound, which will be slightly different. This, this is what I mean. I mean, if they're afraid to do the work, to make adjustable... What, what else are they going to just say, oh... You know, it's really too hard for us to do that. It won't be the persistent universe that you wanted or the, or, or the real-world experience, but, you know, that's okay because we did it with our characters, and so we're just not going to do it with this. I agree with you, and I think that the solution, I think they need to put their heads together on a different solution. I, I, I agree with you that they, they are not done thinking about this. They need, to, they need to go back to their drawing board and come up with this some more. I don't think the solution is putting in the thousands of adjustments that would need to take so that every size skeleton can be accommodated in the cockpits. I think they need to come up with a different creative solution that may involve some trickery, some chicanery, some pay no attention to the man behind the curtain type stuff because for a good chunk of the casual player, having a customizable avatar that may be a little overweight, that may be taller, that may be shorter, is an important thing. And they're going to alienate a good portion of the player base unless there is either A, a promise that a solution, a long-term solution is in the works, or B, a short-term solution is implemented, which breaks the fourth wall a little bit. They really need to go back to the drawing board on this. I don't think the solution is chair adjustments. I'm using chair adjustments as an example. I mean, I, like I said, I have a car that, uh, you know, I, I push a button and my pedals go forward and back or my seat moves. In fact, I can get in my car and it will, it actually remembers that it's me with a push of a button. You know, and it sets it up for me to drive. And yet when my wife gets in the car, she pushes a button and remembers her position. That could be a long-term solution is building in the chair adjustment system. That could be a long-term solution for something that's, you know, in Persistent Universe 2.0, you know, 2018 or something like that. You know, say a long-term solution is coming, but we have to leave it off the board for now because... And then when it comes, we'll give everybody a free physical characteristic respect token, retcon, whatever... There is precedent for that because there's a couple of games sure, that I, I played that, that had that. Uh, they couldn't get the character creation in uh, right away. They had basic stuff, and then about 18 months later, they put it in and, and gave everybody a free uh, pass at... Uh, yeah, yeah they, they, I, I agree with you that they can't just leave that this here. They can leave it here for now, but they need to come back to this. That's It's too important for too many players to be able to customize your own avatar a certain way. They need to, They need to come back to that. Nick's? Oh God! Did you, you guys saw Nick's? Oh yeah, I saw the Nick's video. Oh man, that that was like the most awesome thing ever. <laughs> I, I wonder where the Detroit Discount Store is. <laughs> you know, Max Stacks, little and Stacks Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But that's the whole point: them. is that if you can find them, they will sell it to you. That's right. Right. That's the trouble. Yeah, you got to find them first. That was really, really cool. Now I, I'm curious though. Was that controlled landing or was that auto landing? That's auto landing. Has to be. Yeah, it's pretty smooth. And here's the community question we didn't ask. As a matter of fact, we specifically asked you not to respond to it, but 
you did anyway. You people, you had one job, but you still talked about that guy. Vogon Poem Lover says, Very informative. I was unaware that he actually had hired a legal firm. This is disturbing news. While I'm confident that CIG will be able to prevail, it's likely going to be a big drain on money and resources. I really wish there was something more us backers could do to support CIG beyond just throwing additional money at them. And Ranger XML says, The Avenger isn't the trainer ship for Squadron 42 anymore, it's the Gladius. Uh, That's not really related, but he said it, so there you go. He then says he also wants to go on at length about DS, but what can he say that history hasn't already told us about him? I mean, he claims that negative press was created by Star Citizen fans. Well, there is a wealth of bad press predating Star Citizen fans. Algernon and 3000 AD can speak to loads. He simply wants to see the people burn that are succeeding where he failed so often, and he has a history of rivalry with Chris and Co, as pointed out by some other former employees, whose names I will not even attempt to pronounce. He's, he's not going away. We're not going to devote a great deal of coverage to him unless there is actual news. He's been bloviating this week. Apparently, Mr. Fryermuth of CIG has responded to him, and, oh, there is much thunder to be had with that, whatever. CIG has come up with a policy that they're not going to uh, publicize personal correspondence, so we'll just have to wait for Derek Smart to do so because he clearly has no such policy. So if there's news, we'll let you guys know about it. It won't be the real correspondence. He'll pick out... He'll oh, yeah. Out. yeah. He'll pick out the little pieces that he wants. If it had really been just a completely ineffective piece of writing, we would have seen the entirety of said writing already. But Mr. Fryermuth is a competent attorney, and I'm sure he scored a number of points in his letter, which is why we will never see the entire thing. So we're only going to see the parts that Derek thinks that he can, you know, twist into something that is good for him. Until there's something official that can be analyzed in its entirety and that we can opine intelligently about here on the show, we're just going to, you know, the bare minimum. On to general feedback. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Wonderful show, everyone. Keep up the good work. You know, Sean, you're a great listener. Always the same every week. Dave, a.k.a. Sailed says, Great show, guys. Liked Nuggets again this week. Is anyone else excited for the next four months? It's coming together. I walked around Art Corp imagining what it's going to be like when there is stuff to actually do, and I spent way too much time laughing at everyone's dancing. And Jeff, Ben said on another fan show that the Phoenix may go on sale again. Ooh. Ooh. Yes, yes, save your pennies. Ooh, my pennies are saved. And Dr. Nefario says, great radio, guys. Loving it. And First Verse Problems tweets in to say, just in time for tonight's show... Jeff at Guardfreak, Star Citizen, action figures. There can only be one. And these will go in the show notes. They are fantastic uh, pieces of art there. They're basically mock-ups of what it would look like if we were to have our own action figures in the verse. And Jeff's, yours just looks amazing. Well, you know, it's funny because I have, there's a picture of me online on my Facebook, uh, in my Facebook photo of me in my kilt. So I, it's. Um, is it the right pattern? Is it the right tartan? Uh, it is not the right tartan. Oh. Mine is the right tartan. This is not the right. This is. Uh, yeah, that's not the right tartan. Well, yeah, you got you got to give Ben a little, you know, creative room, some artistic license. Okay. Yeah. You know, that, you know that's fine. But uh, no, that's that's why I was laughing because I just want to read on the back of the uh, Jeff action figure. There's some stats here. So real name Jeff McComb, primary specialty fruity oti bars, secondary specialty search and rescue. Member since well he calls the Big Bang. 
His primary ship is the UEE Phoenix, and his bio says, Empires rise and fall, Imperators take the throne and leave, but one thing has remained constant. From the Roman invasion through the Spanish Armada, the American Revolution, and the space race right up until the UEE formation, Jeff has been there and has seen it all. The secret to his longevity? A good, regular diet full of fibre. Ben, I love you. Our new Patreons this week is... And the winner of a brand new patch is James Breton. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? That is the sound of about a dozen envelopes full of patches that are going out to a variety of worldwide destinations uh, that I'll be taking to the post office tomorrow morning when it opens up. Many of them require international postage, which is... Uh, a little uh, a little annoying. So I, I'm going to make a personal trip to the post office, and then I'm going to dump the international ones for our European listeners on Lenin. So I'm sending Lenin a package uh, full of about 20 patches. So the next time we get Europe ones, you're going to be in charge of sending them. And then I'm sending Shiv the other batch so that he can send them out after this because this whole mailing stuff is just too much for me. I can't do it. It's too much. It is tricky. It's very tricky. And this week's community question, social module, it's out on time, early even. Is this a sign of the new CIG, or are we just crazy optimist fanboy podcasters? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. So, how was the show? Are we hip and cool like Area 18, or more sneaky and weird like Area 51? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. You can subscribe to feeds.guardfrequency.com or just look us up on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 87 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 88 on September 15th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subform. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways that we've just ran down, you can also use the contact form on our website, and all of the details for all of the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? You want to come help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. It covers Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe. Head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com to check them out. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Well, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, RobertSpaceIndustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should join us live at GuardFrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11pm Central. That's Saturdays at way too early GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our Nuggets contributor, Jeff Grant, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, Deep Black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Time to 330, count 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard.
Gaming.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Lennon? Well, I'd love to tell you, but I haven't updated the intro doc to take into account what we're doing in Squawk, so... Um, ah, just talk amongst be, yourselves that quietly. That would be, that would be good radio. Yes. <laughs> do you, you know how yet? Uh, we've done this so many times? It's like uh, immediately we fall into <laughs> certain. Yeah, we've got, we've got the we've got the crash <laughs> procedure down. <laughs> Fans of the show might remember our coverage of the Vasimir or variable specific. It's a technical term. See, two hundred kilowatts. What's a what's a kilowatt? Let's try to scale that. Can we scale that for Earth? What's a what's a? See, I run my. I think I've, last time I looked at my power bill, right. I think I used a thousand kilowatt hours in a month. Okay. And so two thousand kilowatts, two hundred kilowatts. Excuse me, is two hundred thousand kilowatts. And so two hundred thousand kilowatts. And how many seconds are in a month? I think that's the. I think that's the number we're looking for here. So sixty seconds in a minute. 60 seconds or 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours in a day, 30 days in a month. I use 200 million, uh, there's 200 million, or sorry, there's 2,592,000 seconds in a month. And if I used, uh, if, if I used 100 kilowatts, kilowatt hours, okay, I just, I forget it. This is why I went to law. Anyway. <laughs> so, I couldn't help but notice there's a lot of numbers there. If we took the number of star citizens and the members of the UEE fleet and we converted them all into kilowatt hours, how long does that power the ISS for? Lennon, you ignorant slut. Would you stop? <laughs> <laughs> Episode 59 of CIG's in-house production. Yeah, around- hey, sorry, Jeff. Uh, I didn't say go, Jeff. I said we good. But the, the effect was the same. Okay. So you wanted to stop me in mid-sentence to say that? Yes, yes. Yes, because okay. he overtold I said, it because in the recording, it would have been, we good, and you would have been talking over me saying, we good. So, okay. go, Jeff. Go, to Oh, Mr. Starmory. <laughs> oh, good, you got me. Well played. Well played, sir. Well played. Oh, may you be cursed with VD. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I love the game we're building. Apparently, no one else does. Or we just agree with you. And we can never that verbally can say that. Does it, does it stick in your throat a little bit? Well, it's more that these things get recorded. I don't know if anyone's introduced you to podcasting, but these shows actually get recorded. And that's what yeah. uh, people in your trade like to call evidence, I believe. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maddox Puro, Director of Electronic Warfare Research and Development at Drake Enterprise. <laughs> Amontillado. You can try faking me with the spelling all you want, but no, I'm I think this is Amontillado. Amontillado. Uh, oh, Amontillado. Yes. Amontillado. Is that Amontillado with a different? Uh, is that a different than Amontillado? You say You say Amontillado. He says Amontillado. Okay. Let's call the whole thing off. It's never not funny. <laughs>